coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 12th of November, 2023. When God speaks, we should listen. We have a special treat for us today. It's the body. Uh, we have our guest speaker, Luke Hendricks. Luke, if you'll come forward, deliver the message. My microphone on. I may not have turned it on. Is it on? Mine's on. Can you hear me okay? Great. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to be here. I'm not sure that any of you had a choice, but somebody did. And I'm grateful to be here. My wife Donna is with me, and I hail from just down the road a ways. Salmon Creek is where we live, very close to the university there, and uh, we've been in the Vancouver area for about 23 years. I um, currently serve as the Director of Church Development for Church Venture Northwest, Conservative Baptist Northwest, if you were around long enough to know them before they changed their name. And I also serve as a part-time pastor at Northwest Gospel Church out in East Vancouver. So uh, spend a little bit of time there and a lot of time with Church Venture. I have three children and eight grandchildren, ages 18 to four. And if you put them all together, uh, it's pretty much a circus. We just put a tent over it and label that the Hendrick Circus, but it's a great joy. We have five that are in the local area, five grandkids, and then three that are down in the Sacramento area. So it keeps life really busy. This morning, I would like to bring the Word of God to you from Psalm 50. So you can uh, turn there. We'll look at it here in just a second. And I did not ask what translation you were using this morning. I will be preaching from the English Standard Version, which probably is going to sound a little bit different if you have something else, but we'll get close enough to it that way. I don't know if you're anything like me, but there have been times in my life when I've longed to hear the voice of God. Anybody ever wanted that? Like there's just a tense moment, a decision to be made, a direction that you needed to know, which way to go, or a decision, some, some kind of decision, and you wanted to hear God in a desperate way. And I don't know about you, but there are places in which it seems like I'm a little more sensitized to God, a little more sensitized to hear Him. And there are various ways that I suppose we can hear Him. A lot of times people will say, I'm, I'm a little more concentrated when it's quiet, and I'm in a spot that's comfortable, and I have my Bible, and I can kind of listen. I will admit that I've heard God most often through His Word. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've heard him through music as well. And um, there have been times when I've been out in the woods and have heard him dramatically. It's not an audible voice because I've longed for that, but that hasn't occurred. But there are moments when you know that the Lord is speaking to you. Well, this morning we're going to read from uh, the psalmist here. Asaph is the psalmist for Psalm 50. And he 
is going to speak the very words of God through this psalm. So if I were to title this sermon, it would be, When God Speaks, We Should Listen. It's very true, and God's word declares it, that the hearing of his word is supernatural for those who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, For the word of God is active, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's a sermon. We could certainly preach that one this morning, but enough is said in the verse that if we will allow the word of God for us to listen to it, it does have the capacity to cut through our thinking and to bring us to clear understanding of what God is saying, even judging our intentions and our thoughts in the meantime. So I want to hear from God directly this morning, and I hope you do too. Um, this is the word of the Lord, Psalm 50. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, and around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And perform your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes, or to take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you're pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this, then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. That is the word of the Lord. We can say amen, but it is rather harsh, isn't it, this morning? Yeah, I don't often hear Psalm 50 preached. We certainly know Psalm 51, David's confession of his sin, but Psalm 50, it seems like, is is not touched as often. 
But it's a very interesting situation. Let me see if I can set the stage for you. God is calling uh, for uh, a courtroom, uh, a judgment to be rendered, if you will. He's calling the whole of the universe into session. You can see it in verse 6, or excuse me, verses 1 through 6. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Skipping down, gather to me, or to me, verse 4. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is the judge. So the supreme judge enters into this courtroom um, to preside. Now, who is he? Well, verse 1 says he's uh, the mighty one. There are three glorious names here. The mighty one, El, and then God, Elohim, and the Lord, Jehovah. And whom is he, has he spoken? Well, he, he summons all the earth and all the nations, all the ranks, all the characters, everybody's invited. I would like the whole universe to be in this courtroom. This is a call for reverence. If the God of the universe is calling everybody to witness this, it would be a sober moment. It's the very voice of God speaking. Now, there is something hopeful in that. I hope you can see it. Because he is God and infinite, and we're finite, he's actually condescending. He's actually stepping down off of his infinite throne to be present with finite creatures. He, con he condescends to speak to the rebels, if you will. What a gracious God. Well, where has he spoken? It's in all of creation. And then, what's he look like? Well, he looks like a devouring fire, a mighty tempest. You know, in Scripture, flames and hurricanes are often frequently described as the attendants of the divine appearance. So we see that in many other places in Scripture. And then, of course, in verse 4, all of the angels and men, upper and lower worlds, are called to witness the solemn scene. But I want you to look at verse 5, because this is where he gets personal with you and I. Verse 5, he says, Gather to me my faithful ones. These are the ones who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. These are his people, my faithful ones. These are the saints, the objects of my mercy. I want you to understand that when he uses that phrase, gather to me my faithful ones, this is descriptive of a relation, not an intrinsic quality. None of us possess this character by nature. We're not born related to God. In fact, it's just the opposite. We're born rebelling God. We are born sinners. And there is no difference between us and anybody else in the world but by divine grace, which we've already sung about this morning in multiple hymns. In that divine grace, we experience a change of nature and consequently a change of name. 
We are the objects now of everlasting love. So here's God calling the whole of the universe to judge his people, us. So can you get that in your mind's eye this morning? We're on trial in God's courtroom. Now, of course, this was addressed to the nation of Israel. But by proximity, we are his people. We are his saints. We are the ones that are on trial. And there are two charges, essentially, uh, that are issued against us. This first one is the charge of ritualism. Okay, verse 7 says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. It's the preacher's duty this morning to give you the context of this as it was spoken. Well, this would be the nation of Israel, and Christ has not shown up on the scene in order to provide salvation to us just yet. However, as we draw this forward, we can understand that we now stand in the position of being God's people. So God is now drawing everybody together and says, listen, and I will speak, I will testify against you. Here's the indictment, verses 8 and 9. You are insulting God. My people, you're insulting me. It's not that you've neglected to give sacrifices to God. The indictment is they are giving sacrifices with the wrong mindset. He nullifies their sacrifices in verse 9. I will not accept the bull from your house or goats from your folds. Now, this is a devastating sentence for the people of God in that time period, for sure, because it basically says that the center of their religious practice is empty and void as long as this mindset prevails. Now, it's, it's a little bit like we have to kind of say, okay, how does this fit for us? But let's just talk about Sunday morning and gathering here at Woodland Baptist. We all walk in, we want to be here, seemingly. We'll assume that. We're here, but there is something about it that feels very familiar, like it's what we do on Sundays. Maybe we don't walk in thinking, well, I'm here just to glorify God. Maybe some of us are here by rote, by ritual. How many of you have sought to read your Bible more? Like to think, well, I should read my Bible more. I should set a time and I should do that. How long does that last? Well, it lasts until it doesn't, right? And then it's like, oh yeah, that's right. I, was, I, I committed myself to doing that and I'm not doing it. And you wonder, well, I just must not be a very disciplined person. I, I don't know. I don't think about God that often. And it's hard and we try and discipline ourselves again. And it's kind of like we're just going to grab a hold of that thing and white-knuckle it and just hope that we can be disciplined enough to be pleasing to God. Whether it's prayer time or Bible reading time or coming to church or whatever it may be. And God is saying to the nation of Israel, your religious practices insult me because your mind is not right. You need a change of mind. He says he doesn't need their sacrifices for two reasons. One is that he's never hungry. He doesn't need to eat. 
He's always totally satisfied within himself and what he does for his glory. And then two, if he were hungry, verse 10 to 13, verse 12, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. He would not have to depend on us for his meals because he owns everything. So this isn't a matter of God needing anything from us. From the nation of Israel, sacrifices. From us, religious practice. Coming to church and singing some hymns. What's wrong? God's saying, there's something off here. You're going through the motions. Hmm. All the world is his. So what does it mean? It means we need a reset in our thinking. The only thing that pleases God is what? Our faith. That's what the Bible says. That is what pleases God. Our belief demonstrated in our recognition of him. Our faith. So it's here in verses 14 and 15 that I find what I would like to call or term the counterintuitive gospel. Look at verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Verse 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So verse 14 is God's specific instruction for us to reset our minds. He says, offer to me a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Does that sound right? A sacrifice of thanksgiving. To me, it sounds a little oxymoronic. Like thanksgiving isn't a sacrifice. When I'm thankful, it's not a sacrifice. I actually want to do it. True? I'm not sacrificing anything. So how is it that God says, hey, this is what I'm looking from you. I'm looking for a sacrifice of thanksgiving. I have to really stop and think about this. But um, it's so interesting because I did not um, give to Tom or anybody, to Pastor Tim or anybody, where I was going to preach from. That blanked out and I didn't send it to anybody. So Psalm 50, they didn't know. Which is fine. We have a reading out of Psalm 33, but it fit really well with this sermon. But here's the crazy part. There was a hymn this morning, Count Your Blessings, that I reference in this sermon. And here it is. The counterintuitive nature of the gospel is that when you don't feel like giving thanks, you are to sacrifice and offer thanksgiving. And what I can say to you is God is interested in being exalted throughout the whole of our life, not just simply on Sunday morning. So even if we have a song, a special song this morning, it's going to talk about Daniel and praying and going against culture and government and everything else. It wasn't that Daniel was calling attention to himself. He went up to his room where no one could see him, unless they were spying on him which they did do eventually, but, and pray. God is just saying here 
the sacrifice is I need you to stop thinking that you have the answers to your life and that you know what's best. I would like very much for you to acknowledge me all the time in everything that you do. So when there is a very difficult moment in your life, if you're anything like me, generally speaking, it's a kind of a crisis moment, face goes flush, and it's like, what am I to do in this moment? And you think through all the scenarios. Maybe it's a financial need, and you're thinking through all of the scenarios. Maybe I should buy a lottery ticket. Maybe I should go ask for a loan. Maybe I'd ask my brother if I could borrow some money. And we're going through all of these different scenarios to try and figure our way out of a situation. And God is saying, the sacrifice is when you give up on your own thinking, Luke. Quit thinking about it yourself. See, in verse 15, this is what he says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. So while this judgment sounds really harsh, God's turning around and saying, hey, listen, when you're in the deep weeds, call me. Stop. I will deliver you. And you will glorify me. So it actually takes a sacrifice. You have to not think about your own plan and how you might relieve the tension in your life and turn to him and give thanks. And the hymn says to count your blessings. Name them. Stop. They're not, it's not thankfulness for the immediate situation. The immediate situation is really difficult. So stop and think about all of the things that God has given. I know, it sounds weird. Like it, that really doesn't solve my financial situation. Why would I do that? It doesn't solve my broken relationship with a son or daughter. And as a father of adult children, those are big issues now. They can be big in their teenage years too, but certainly in their adult life. A broken relationship. But I'm going to stop and give thanks. God says, sacrifice. Don't think about it in your human terms. Stop and just give thanks to me. And when you're in the deep weeds, when you're in deep trouble, call upon me and I will deliver you. You see, we'll seek to relieve that pressure by any means and it's usually uh, our last effort that we finally cry out to God. And, that, and, I, and I think there's actually, we don't want to do that. We think, oh, that's much like a foxhole conversion. I can't possibly turn to God now. I've tried every other option but he's going to see that I'm so hypocritical. I've waited to the end to call on him. But you know what he says? You're my people. You're my saints. When you get to the end of your rope, call on me in your day of trouble. I will deliver you. We have to give up all of our own thinking, our own way of saving ourselves, and listen to him to be thankful and correct our mindset. Ritualism, going through the motions of our religion, our faith in Jesus Christ, going through the motions, 
That ritualism can only be overcome through thanksgiving. That's the way it's overcome. So what's the ultimate goal of the judge in this courtroom? What is God trying to accomplish in the life of his people? Well, he, he wants us to turn to him. Verse 15 says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. You shall glorify me. This is the way God is most admired. The way he's most glorified. When he rescues us. Well, if I'm honest again with a couple things this morning, I have read Psalm 50 many times in my life. And usually when I get to verse 16, I say, well, there's a big change here. Because now, God is going to speak to the wicked. And who are the wicked? I, quite frankly, would say that's the world. That's the larger culture. God is now going to turn to the world and say, okay, now I'm going to judge you. Whenever I see the word wicked, that's what it feels like. Okay, let me read this to you. But to the wicked, verse 16, God says, What right have you to recite my statutes? Or take my covenant on your lips. For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. And then he goes on to just give a litany of sinful things. These things, verse 21, you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. Okay, he's talking about his people. He's still talking to us. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to us who recite his statutes and who take their, his covenant on our lips. The second charge is not just ritualism, but rebellion, which is incredibly insidious. I, I wish this was an indictment of the world, but it's not. God is still speaking to his people. That's who he's come to judge. He doesn't judge the world. Do you remember what Jesus said? I didn't come to judge the world. The world stands judged. I came to save. He's speaking to us. They assumed that they were true Israelites. They were going through the sacrifices and bringing to the altar their animals and Grain offerings and wine offerings and all those things. They were familiar with the words of God's statutes and the terms of his covenant. Just like we are today, we're very familiar with the words of God. They claimed the right to enforce these rules, these statutes, on each other. To look at each other and say, hey, you're not walking the right way. While in their own persons, they didn't obey. Anybody guilty of that? I am. It's so much easier to look at someone else and say, you're not living correctly. You're not living like a true believer. Much harder to turn that view onto yourself. God declares that they have no right to assume to be teachers of others until they have taught themselves. They are unfit even to take his covenant in their mouth. You say you believe in God, but your actions 
tell me differently. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to give you just a descriptor of what it looks like. Uh, the Apostle Paul gives us this scorching view of what it looks like to be saying we believe and not acting like it. Listen to this from Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. That's all of us. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And what do they go on to do? Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies. It goes on and on and on whole litany, all the way down through verse 32. All of the things that occur, everything that's wrong in our culture and society is depicted here, all the way down to the bottom. Verse 30, they're slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So, here we are. You say that you believe in me, but your actions tell me something different. God offers a solution to that situation. It's crazy. I can't hardly believe it. But look at verse 23 of Psalm 50. Here's the solution. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Our salvation is found in us giving thanks. Paul begins that litany of actions that depict us as human beings, as people who say they believe in God and act differently. He says the whole start of it is you didn't give thanks. You didn't say thank you. You know, like when you sit around the kitchen table or the dining room table with a meal with your children and grandchildren and whoever's there, and you don't say thank you. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Grace at the dinner table can feel very ritualistic. It's not. Let me tell you, it's not. It is what saves us. When we would stop and say, where did this come from? Where did this food come from? This house come from? 
the care and concern to produce the food? Where did it come from that we would just stop and give thanks? Here's what I've come to as a conclusion in my own life. For my character to change, I need an engine that's big enough to power me through the difficulty of just living. And there have been many times when I have been disciplined, and it's been dry and spiritless. I've read my Bible and I've prayed, and there hasn't been much change. But if I will be disciplined to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving, it's amazing how it changes me. Here's, here's a little test, if you will. Tomorrow morning, or I don't care when, you can do it today. But if you gave yourself just two minutes and said, I'm going to take two minutes, get an egg timer or your Apple Watch or something and set it for two minutes. And just for two minutes, just thank God. Thank Him for everything that you're thankful for. And just do that for five days. Five days. And then call me and tell me what happened on the sixth day. Here's what's happened to me. If I'll be disciplined to begin to say thank you, it takes me longer than two minutes. And I have a habit of writing out my prayers when I'm disciplined and spending that time thanking God. When you're a thankful person, you are a humble person because you realize all that God has done for you. When you're a thankful person, you're a happy person. You are a secure person. And people want to be around you. Holy living is the evidence of your salvation. It's not the other way around. We don't live holy to be saved. We are saved, and it produces holy living. Thanksgiving is the only engine strong enough to have us submit to his divine guidance, to his will. That's what I firmly believe. It's the only engine strong enough for me to be connected to God when I am thankful. Grateful hearts equal holy lives. And holy lives are set apart to the glory of God. Be thankful. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And let the world see your security your happiness, your absolute faith in the future, not negative, don't care what the world has to say. You know God, and he knows you, and he says in your day of trouble, call upon me, I'll deliver you.
Well, can you do it? Tell you what I want to do. I want to pray for you this morning that you would be thankful people. I realize that there are some changes coming to Woodland Baptist. and I've been working with your search team, and I know that losing Pastor Tim is a very difficult thing. Really hard. But I want you to be thankful for all those years of faithful service and everything that he's given to you. And I want you to be secure. He would tell you the same thing. God's not going anywhere. Pastor Tim might be going somewhere, but not God. You can trust him. So let me pray for you as we close. Okay? And I want to pray Psalm 20 or a portion of it over you this morning. Just bow with me and listen to Psalm 20. We'll pray and conclude. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O oh Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. God, I give you thanks for Woodland Baptist and for these many years of their testimony here in this community. And I would ask in this seeming day of trouble, when they will mourn the loss of their pastor for many years, that they would, as a body, band together and call upon you. Give thanks for all that has occurred in these many years. Give thanks to you, the ruler of the universe. May they fill their hearts and deny their own plans and put before you their petitions that you might answer all of their plans for the future. God, we thank you for Jesus and the fact that he is our righteousness, and we, as your people, can come to you in our day of trouble. And you're glad, you're happy, you want to hear it. God, may we be faithful when delivered to give you all the glory. For we pray all of this for Jesus' sake and his glory alone. Amen. Thank you.